Well, since we left off last week in Nehemiah, uh, we saw that he had spent four months in prayer uh, waiting for God to open up a door for him to move through, uh, which God did, and he sent him on his way to Jerusalem. It would have been about a uh, two-month journey as he went uh, to Jerusalem walking, and as we'll see here in a moment as we pick up in chapter 2, news traveled fast. So let's pick up in verse 9 of chapter 2. Then he said, I came to the governors of the prince beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. That's one of the things that he had asked for uh, for the journey, uh, so he could get a passageway through, and then certainly the, the, uh, what he needed to continue to build a wall. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And so almost immediately upon his arrival, uh, the enemies of the Jews were stirred up. Uh, you know, we ought not be surprised that when God is on the move, the enemies against God get upset. And so we will see here that there was three main um, you know, enemies to the Jews to show up here in that Sanballat. Sanballat was from Beth Aram, which is about 12 miles from Jerusalem, and he'll be Nehemiah's chief enemy. You know, he'll do everything that he can to keep the walls from being built. And then we had Tobiah, who was an Ammonite. Now, here's the interesting thing about Tobiah. Uh, if Sanballat was the chief enemy, Tobiah was the guy that was in charge of getting all the secret information. And uh, he was able to do so because as an Ammonite, he was related by marriage to some of the Jews that were beyond the walls. Uh, and what Nehemiah couldn't know at this point was that all the things that they were doing were getting right to the enemies through these relationships that Tobiah had the Ammonites with the Jews. Uh, and, and this would become probably one of his greatest challenges in the rebuilding of the wall was all their plans that were being disseminated to the enemy. And so as we, we come... I want us to look as we're just going to look at a portion of Scripture in chapter 2. We're not even going to finish chapter 2 today. I want us to see some spiritual principles of spiritual leadership. You know, so a variety of characteristics of spiritual leadership that all of us can apply to our lives. Uh, you know, so don't be tempted to say that I am not a spiritual leader because anybody who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and therefore is a spiritual leader. There's always somebody that's a little bit further beyond where you are that you can lead closer and closer to Jesus. But one of the principles I want us to see is one that I would just confess right out of the gate that I struggle with, and that is that spiritual leaders take time to rest. Yeah, say it took you a while to go, hmm. So you guys, I just deemed yourself just as guilty as I, that uh, I would imagine that a lot of us have a difficulty in rest. And it's not just a physical rest. It's a spiritual rest. And so I want you to see this play out here in, in Nehemiah. Now, we'll see in verse 11 that he took rest, but I will, I'll show you a little bit later in verse 13 uh, how I'm getting that this is the spiritual rest. So in verse 11, so I went up to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I go someplace, and I'm, I'm going with the purpose of doing something, now, I, I usually want to hit the ground running. Now, yes, Nehemiah had been walking uh, on his journey and traveling for two months, and he gets there, but he took three days to rest. And as we've seen in, in chapter 1 already, and we'll see in other portions of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah spent time in prayer with God. 
And I believe we'll see here in chapter 2, verse 13, that he was spending time alone with God in prayer, and God impressed upon his heart things that he could not know himself. You know, but spiritual leaders understand the importance of spending time with God. They, they understand the importance of spending time in prayer as they're reading God's word and they're praying, asking God to reveal truths to them, asking God to open their eyes up to things that they cannot see. They understand the importance. Charles Spurgeon, in talking about prayer, he said this, sometimes we think that we are too busy to pray. Ever been there? You know, a lot of times when life gets busy, the first two things to go are our time in the Word and our time in prayer. And he says this, this is a great mistake, for praying is a savings of time. God can multiply our ability to make use of time. If we give the Lord His due, we shall have enough for all the necessary purposes. In this matter, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. He concludes by saying this, your engagements will run smoothly if you do not forget your engagements with God. In the busyness of our life, in the busyness of our culture, we don't spend enough time in prayer. We don't spend enough time asking God to lead our steps, asking God to open our eyes to see the things that we can't, allowing, asking God to keep us from missing what it is that he has for us to, to, to see. And so spiritual leaders understand this. They ask God to do those very things. You know, as Nehemiah had come, he, he had no idea that, that those beyond the walls of Jerusalem were sharing the information with Tobiah. There's no way that he could have known that. And so we pick up in verse 12. Uh, it, it, we, we see some of the insights into how he found that out. He said, I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. And so here we see Nehemiah getting up in the middle of the night. I believe through his time of prayer, God was impressing upon his heart that he needed to go and investigate and do things to see what was going on in Jerusalem. And again, the only way you're going to understand this is if you will spend time alone with God as you're reading the Word and God begins to allow His Scriptures to come alive off the pages to you and you spend time praying and asking God to help give you a more of an understanding of how this applies to your life, allow you to see things, God will do so. And the more that you do that, the more you see how God is at work. And Nehemiah was doing this. Verse 13 says, I went out by, out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and into the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and the gates that had been destroyed by fire. And so he sneaks out at night. He doesn't tell anybody except for those he takes with us right then, and he continues to inspect the walls. Verse 14, then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, that there was no one, uh, there was no room for even the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up by night to the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the gate and so returned. Verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who would do the work. I believe that as he was spending time in prayer, that he realized that God was beginning to open his eyes up to some of the challenges that he would face, even though he didn't understand those at the time. And he, by faith, did what God impressed upon his heart. And so we see here that as Nehemiah uh, spends time with the Lord, God impresses upon his heart to go and investigate. So he investigates the walls. He doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. And that investigation comes from him spending time with God in prayer. Uh, you know, 
one of the things that I so desire in my life is to hear when God speaks. I want to know that God is leading me in the truth. But you know how you'll hear from God? It's from this. You've got to spend time in the Word. We've got to spend time in prayer. And, and, and not just prayer, asking God to do things for us. Spend time in asking God to reveal truth from this. Asking God to help us understand how it applies to our lives right now. How we are to allow this to <coughs> impact our lives. Spiritual leaders understand that. They understand that God leads through his word. He leads through prayer. He leads through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He'll put impressions upon our heart that we need to go and investigate. And as we do, God's plan begins to un unfold. But here's where I want to camp out the rest of our time today. The spiritual leaders understand that they need to take time to recruit others. Now, this may seem um, redundant in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, that obviously Nehemiah couldn't do it all on his own. But is it any different in the church? How can one man or a small group of men do all that needs to be done in the church? They can't. And if we're going to understand these spiritual principles that come out of the book of Nehemiah, one is that God's plans involve others as well. It's not just about me, it's not just about our elders, but God's plan involves others. We see the mission that he's given us, multiplying disciples. Well, that, that speaks to this. God's plan involves others. God wills that no one should perish. We need to be involving others in the process all along the way. The Great Commission is not an option, it is a command. We need to be making disciples. As we look through Scripture, there's all sorts of other principles that are given to spiritual leaders specifically. Now, remember that all of us are spiritual leaders in one way or another. But in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul's encouraging Timothy. And here's what he says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that which you have heard from me, this is Paul talking to me, that's what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach those to others as well. You see this principle that Paul is passing on to Timothy? He said, look, here's what I've done with you. I've taught you everything that Christ has taught me. I have entrusted it to you as a faithful, reliable man. Now, go and do likewise. These spiritual leaders understand that part of the Great Commission is raising up other leaders, that we are to recruit other peoples to come alongside of us and involve them in the kingdom process. You see, spiritual leaders also understand that it's God's plan for unity. Now, you again might think, well, that's redundant, Dave. I get it. God's plan is always for unity. Yes, it is. But I want you to think about this in the context of discipleship, in the context of developing leaders. When a leader does not involve other people in the process, it blows up unity. So turn with me, if you will, to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to read these verses in the context of discipleship. You know, first verses 1 through 3 and then verses 1 through 11. Again, this is Paul speaking. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy in the manner that you were called, that you've been called, with all humility and with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Consider with me, if you will, the process of discipling another, the process of raising up leaders within the church. Paul's saying, 
walk worthy in the manner to which you were called. All of us were called to make disciples. We need to do so with humility, with gentleness, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. As we drop down to verses 11 through 13, Paul's talking about leadership in the church. He says this, he gave apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, what, attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, so as we look at this, and we we think about it in the context of multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be involving other people. You know, the, the leaders in the church are commanded to equip the saints, going back to what Paul told Timothy, to entrust yourself to reliable men. It is a process that we need to, to make sure that we are involved with. And we don't. It hinders the unity of the church. This first part of the week, this last week, I was in Richmond to uh, attend a conference that Lifeway has been trying to get me to come to for a couple of years. And um, they wanted me to come to Nashville. And to be honest, I just didn't want to travel that far. And so they came to Richmond. And so I went, and the conference was all on discipleship strategies within the local church. It was wonderful. But we began to look at some of these principles, and we began to look at why churches are struggling with discipleship. And most of it, I think, is just very simple. It's a misunderstanding of what discipleship is. And as they said in this conference, discipleship is not a class. It is a lifestyle. It is a process of which we do life with people. It was very interesting that while we were in this class, that Tom Rayner, the president of Lifeway, came out with a blog talking about why people leave the church. He gave four reasons, three I'll share with you this morning. The reason people are leaving the church is because people aren't serving. Now, before you put that on those who aren't serving, let me put it right back on us as a congregation. The reason most people don't serve in churches is because they haven't been asked. Another reason people don't serve in churches is because they're not needed. Let me go back to these verses that we just read. Bearing with one another in patience and humility for the bond of peace. If we understand that discipleship means involving people in a process, we find a place for them to serve, period. A church that says we don't need anybody to serve is a church that does not understand multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Is a church that doesn't understand what spiritual leadership is. Those who are spiritual leaders will never be heard saying this. This is one of my pet peeves, so don't say it. It's just easier for me to do it myself than it is to get other people involved. Now, while that might be true... It is not understanding the whole process of spiritual discipleship and and developing people in the faith that we need to involve people in the process. We need to invite them to come alongside of us. And so one of the reasons people are leaving church is because they're not being allowed to serve. And by the way, don't ask me to make an announcement for you that you need people to serve because it doesn't work. The best way to get people to serve is to start 
doing like Nehemiah did, spending time alone with God, resting in his presence, asking him to open your eyes up to the people that are already here that God wants you to ask, and then you go ask them. And when you ask them, don't say, hey, would you be a Sunday school teacher? Now, before you say yes, just understand this, that you're going to teach until God takes you home. You don't ever get a week off. you gotta, you got to bring breakfast for your class every week. And Who's going to say yes to that? Ask them if they would prayerfully join you and seeing if God would have them go to the next step. And then just give them a little piece to buy into. But we need to understand that we need to find places for everybody to serve. 1 Peter 4.10 is a command. It says, each one should, we need to use the gifts that God has given us to faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. Every one of us has been given spiritual gifts. Every one of us has been given talents. And God says, use them. Use them in my church. We as the body need to find places for everybody to serve. Second reason that people are leaving a church is they aren't being challenged. Now you might think, well, that's your, that's your problem, Dave. Well, yep, it is part of my problem. Yeah, they need to be challenged through the word. But you know what? People have been challenged through the word for a long time, and they still aren't being challenged. You know why I think you get challenged or how you get challenged? Is you serve. God gets you out of your comfort zone. He, when you serve, you realize how much you don't know, and it gives you a hunger to go back in the Word and to learn more. And so while a lot of people are leaving the church, it's because they aren't being challenged. Let me just say this. People have left our church because they are not allowed to serve and are not being challenged. In the past month, we've had people leave our church for this reason. Shouldn't ought to be, people. We need to find places for people to serve, and it, and it can't be all sent them on the bath so they can go change diapers. We need to find We need to be prayer. God, how, is, how are you going to allow me to be involved in this person's life to take them to the next level in their faith and their spiritual journey with you and asking God to reveal that? And then lastly, one of the reasons people aren't being, are leaving the church is because they aren't being discipled. Now, again, remember, discipleship is not a class. Many, many of people sat in a discipleship class, and they think they're discipled. Discipleship is a lifestyle. There is no cookie-cutter model of discipleship. Now, that's coming from a Campus Crusade background where we had that cookie-cutter model. Well, guess what? It doesn't work. There are certain spiritual truths that everybody needs to understand, but when the Holy Spirit's involved, it is a customized process that always comes back to the Word. But there's no A, then B, then C, then D. It's whatever God is doing in their life at that moment that, hey, am I willing to come alongside of Richard and whatever God is doing and walk with him in life, asking the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Lord, what can I give him in your Word? You know how it usually happens that as I'm spending time in the Word, there's a verse that would apply specifically to him that I can say, hey, let me, let me just share with you this verse that God put on my heart this morning. You tell me what you think. There's no like, hey, Richard, you got to come to this class, brother. We got this class. Started, you know, and it's a 15-week class, man. You, you got to come. You need it. <laughs> By the way, I'm teaching it. No. Discipleship is a lifestyle. People don't get discipled from coming to a class. Yes, there's always a teaching component. Yes, there's a place for a class. But when you look at how Jesus discipled, I don't, even, I don't really care for the word discipled. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. They're being obedient to Jesus Christ. But the one who is doing the discipling, if you will, when you look at what Jesus did, it was this 
process. They, they did life together. They would have teaching moments, yes, but then they would go and serve. And when they serve, something would usually happen. They would come back and they'd ask a question. And then Jesus would have another teaching moment. And then they'd go out and serve some more. And it was this ongoing process. You know, and I think that that's what we need to get back to. And so those who are spiritual leaders understand that they need to spend time with God, you know, that God puts impressions upon their heart that they need to investigate, that God involves others in the process. But they also understand this, and this is where I'll close, that God's plan is to develop his disciples. And God's plans for us is to develop those who we are in the process of bringing along in the maturity of the faith. One of the questions that was proposed, and Paul proposed this in, in, in the Word, you know, that, that he was saying this, that as I follow Christ, just follow me. Here's the question that was proposed to us this week. Are you worth following? If somebody were to follow you and do as you were doing, would they be drawn closer to Christ? We need to entrust our lives to faithful, reliable people who will in turn eventually entrust their lives to other people. A sign of a healthy church is a sign where leaders are being produced over and over and over again. One of the questions I've begun to ask my staff that will eventually work its way down to you, and now that I say this, you can wait to see how long it'll take. So write them down. But I'm asking my staff this question every week. How many new positions of service did you recruit this week? How many new people do you have serving within your ministries this week? And they got to write it down on the form. How many new leaders do you have serving this week? So not only do we have, we're getting people in serving, but how many new leaders have been raised up this week? That doesn't mean that every week you have a new leader, but do you have any new leaders that you've raised up this week? You know, and then here's the question of all questions. How many of your leaders have recruited more people to serve and recruited other leaders? You see, when we get to that level, when those people that we are pouring into are recruiting people who are recruiting people, then we have this pipeline of people serving in the church. We have people that are being raised up as leaders. And we recognize that we can't do it on our own. And again, Nehemiah understood that if this wall is going to be rebuilt, I can't do it. If this church is going to become the church that reaches 200,000 people by the year 2020, I as your pastor, can't do it. We, as your elders, can't do it. But together, corporately, we can. We can see God do far more than that if we start raising up leaders. When spiritual leaders rest in the Lord, they take time to investigate what God's putting on their heart through prayer. God will show them what they need to see. God will put people upon your heart that you need to pursue. As we conclude, let me ask us a couple questions. As we see the example of Nehemiah just in these few verses, how do you stack up? Do you do well in resting in the Lord's presence? I struggle with that one. I, I, I want to be a doer, and I'm so busy doing things that I, I struggle resting. Are you taking time to investigate what God's impressing upon your heart? Well, you've got to spend spending time in the Word and resting in the Lord's presence in order for Him to put these impressions upon your heart. You know, but how are you doing leading others? God takes us through this process of spiritual development where every day he is, his desire is to make us more and more Christ-like, to transform us more and more into the image of his son. But he, he gives us that as we make disciples. 
with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, who are you pouring into that you are bringing along? and Who is pulling you along? What's the process that you're involved in? Let me just conclude by giving you, the, the, this is talking specifically about men, the, the transformation that takes place in a man's life. And as I share this from, from birth to death, I want you to think about the, the responsibility that God puts upon a man, and this would apply to a woman as well, as they mature, and then how that changes the whole discipleship process. You know, so this comes from... Um, Jonathan Eldridge, he's come up with these names. And so you got boyhood from, from birth to age 11. And in that process, you're really just learning to be loved. You're being cared for and that there's a need to be loved. And he calls the, from age 12 up, he calls it the cowboy phase, where, where we are, it's adolescence. It's this time of adventure. It's a time of discovering how God has created you. And, and you just watch boys in, in, in general and what they get involved in, the games that they play. Usually, there's always some adventure. If it's not dangerous, they don't want to do it, right? I mean, our boys, I remember when we lived in Alabama, had this real steep stairwell that it kind of ended on a landing and right at the wall and then turned. Did they want to come down the steps like a normal person? No. They got their sleeping bags, they got to the top of the steps, and they, and I'm thinking, they're going to hit the wall. They'll figure it out. That's that phase. It's this cowboy phase of adventure and discovery, how God has wired them. And then we go into this, what he calls the warrior phase in our 20s and 30s, where we have to learn through adversity. We go through life, and life has challenges, but we learn through that. Also in the 20s and 30s is what he calls the, the lover phase, where we have a desire to do life with some other people, people that we're close to, that we want to provide for them. We want to protect them. All takes place during them. Then in the 40s and 50s, it changes. God gives us responsibility. He calls it the king phase, where we are creating visions for others to follow, where we are leading others. And then in, our, in the end of our lives, he calls it the sage phase, the 60s and beyond, where we've already been through all these other phases. And, and we've already been in the leadership phase. And now we are using all of our experience to pour into those who are giving leadership so that they can become all God has created them to be. And so you look at this in the disciple-making process. There's always change. There's always this process that we need to be involved in helping draw somebody else closer to Christ. And so let me conclude with this. Specifically, going on the, the fact that we've actually had people leave our church in the last month because they have not been allowed to serve here. If we understand that, our job is to multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And we understand that discipleship is not a classroom. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Everywhere we are serving in this church, who are you pursuing God to recruit to be on your team? Who is God impressing on your heart to invite to come alongside of you? And as you bring them along and you do life with them and, and they start sharing some things, God's going to give you opportunity to pour into them all the things that he's already taught you in your life. But here's the, here's the real kicker. Are you willing to do this so that they can go to the next level? Step out of the way and allow them to have your position of leadership. Most of the time in church, we're so possessive of I am do this. I'm the director of this. I, who cares? It's not yours anyway. It's his. 
in the process of spiritual maturity. We recognize that we need to spend time with God. We need to ask God to impress things upon our heart. We need to be willing to pursue those things. You know, and, and then as we are developing other people, we need to be willing to step out of the way so that they can go to the next level in their spiritual journey. That doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It just means that you step into another role and you start it all over again, that we are in this, involved in this process of doing life together with one another. God is up to some amazing things in this body of believers. You know, even this week, I'm looking forward to what he's about to do this week that is beyond my wildest imaginations. Where he's taking us into the future is going to be this wild and crazy ride. But guess what? I can't do it. The elders can't do it. The deacons can't do it. It's going to take all hands on deck to be serving in some capacity. And so as we come to this time of invitation, and we're going to do things a couple different ways today. We're going to take the Vision Virginia offering, and I pray that you would prayerfully consider giving money. I'd like to see over $5,000 raised so that we can mobilize people in our state convention when tragedy strikes to send people all around the world. Some of you have participated in disaster relief, and that's part of this, that we send people to go. You know, I know we've got people that have served on disaster relief, and, and, and if you've never t thought about that, talk to Nathan, because he'd love to tell you about all the things that he's done with disaster relief. You know, if you get trained with disaster relief, when, when tragedy strikes, the government only allows a small percentage of people in. And what we can train people here in this body of believers and through this Vision of Virginia offering to mobilize you guys to go to be right there on ground zero, caring with the love of Christ with people so that God's glory can be made known. And so we're going to take that offering at the beginning of this time. And so as our ushers are coming forward to that, as, as that, those plates come by, though, I want you to ask yourselves the question, where am I at in this process of what we call discipleship? Am I pouring my life into somebody who's a little bit further behind me? Am I asking God to give me a group of people that I can do life together with? And most importantly, am I willing to step out of the way so other people can experience the blessings of God in their life as they assume the role that I once had so they can become closer to Christ? As we come to this time of invitation, I ask that you would ask God to reveal to you what the next step for you is and what your willingness is to be a disciple maker who is entrusting your life to reliable men and women. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. I thank you for the incredible principles that are all throughout this book. But Lord, I thank you for what we've seen this morning, that the process that you're involved in is, is one that you want to communicate with us every single day. So God, I pray that you would help us all take time to rest in your presence, to study your word, to spend time in prayer. And God, that as you did with Nehemiah, that you would impress upon our hearts things that we need to pursue. And God, as we do, as we pursue them, I pray that you would reveal things to us that only you can reveal. Lord, I pray for us as a church as we move forward that all of us would be willing to, to do whatever the next thing in our <clears throat> life is that you're calling us to do so that your glory can be made known. God, that we would see leaders raised up in this body of believers that we are serving all over the place. God, not just in this church, but Lord, that you may call to other churches to, to lead, to pastor, to shepherd other churches, to go out into the mission field. But God, that we would be able to say that from this point on, that each of us were willing to not own anything, 
but to simply be a part of what it is you're calling us to be a part of right now and then entrust that to reliable men and women. God, I pray that your spirit would show up and speak to us in an abundant way. In Jesus' name, amen.